Good morning, church. Wow, that was powerful. Thank you. I've been, uh, I've been blessed today with the opportunity to worship with you. Uh, thank you, Rivera family, for your uh, sharing your gifts uh, with the church. I also want to acknowledge our praise team earlier and uh, Esteban. Man, that's uh, fantastic. Thank you for your, for your leadership. The passion comes through. And so uh, it's very much appreciated. And that Easter medley, powerful. Uh, it's just a taste, I think, of what we will experience uh, one day in eternity. So sometimes I wonder if there'll be a quiet room for some uh, in the kingdom because uh, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, wonderful praise and uh, declaring of the holiness of God when we get to be in his presence. So thank you for that reminder today. It's a privilege to be with you. I want to also acknowledge and thank uh, your head elder, Elvis, for the invitation uh, to be here. We have been working on uh, looking for a pastor for you. I think we're close. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, we're going to have a short meeting afterwards with the church committee, and uh, we, I think we're close, and so please continue to pray for that process. Uh, looking forward to see how God is uh, going to provide just the right person for this wonderful congregation. And I also see, uh, you know, some of our uh, teaching staff here and, and leadership from our school. I just got to tell you that uh, as I share with prospective uh, potential pastors and others, I always talk about this is one of the strongest and best uh, schools in our conference. Fantastic teachers and leadership and a tremendous supportive church in terms of uh, the, the school. And so I just want to acknowledge that and thank you for your support. Uh, it is known and felt, and it is great to be able to promote that uh, to others. Uh, good to have my wife Lori uh, with me. Uh, we, we are empty nesters. <clears throat> our our, both of our daughters are married. We're married uh, almost three years ago now, three years ago this coming summer. The same summer, six weeks apart. So uh, I'm still recovering from that. And, uh, and so it's good to, though, be uh, in adjustment mode, and we're still in that. But uh, my wife uh, serves in the education department at the conference and oftentimes is drawn to another location. I'm glad that we're able to travel most of the time together and visit our 124 churches Amen. in the Illinois Conference. And, and so it's been a while, I think, since I had the opportunity to come here. Maybe it's been a couple of years. I'm not sure, but it's good to be back with you, Downers Grove, and uh, looking forward to seeing how God's going to continue to lead in this congregation. This is a very special weekend for Christians, and we've heard about it already. We've sung about it uh, already because this weekend is really about Christians, Christ followers, remembering the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. The Christian faith actually hinges on this one event, doesn't it? It hinges on this one moment, the resurrection of Jesus, because if you really play it through, think through it, you understand that the resurrection of Jesus validated everything that he said and did. 
So this morning I thought I would share the backstory. That I would share the backstory to Resurrection Sunday. We know the primary narrative. At least I would guess most of us in this room know the primary narrative. The sun came up a Sunday morning approximately 2,000 years ago and some of his followers, they rushed up over to the grave and they were going to go and to mourn his death, but the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. Later, we know if we've read through the accounts that Jesus appeared to them. That's what the Bible says. Jesus appeared to them first a few, then the 12, and then to more than 500 of them. More than 500 people were witnesses to the resurrected Christ. Now, this is the primary story that we know and tell. Today, the backstory. I've entitled the message, Nick, Joe, and the Empty Tomb. And you might wonder why. See, Nick, Nicodemus, and Joe, Joseph of Arimathea, and you might be thinking, well, why are you calling them Nick and Joe? And the reason that I'm doing that is very intentional because I want to remind us that they were ordinary men. They were ordinary men like we are ordinary men and women. And they are not the superheroes that we sometimes make them out to be. They were men who struggled, as we will see in this story, with faith. They were men who struggled with action. And so it's important to understand that just as they developed and grew and had struggles and challenges, we are not alone in that and we too can overcome. See, in spite of the reality, and really maybe because of Nick and Joe, millions have had confirmation that Jesus arose from the dead. Yes, Jesus died, but he rose from the dead. See, without Nick and Joe, Jesus would most likely have been buried in a mass grave. Jesus would have been buried in a garbage dump in the valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, outside of Jerusalem. I recently stood there overlooking from the Mount of Olives, the city of Jerusalem, and then between us, the valley of Hinnom that was constantly burning in those days. It's also a term that's translated in our Bibles for hell. That's where Jesus would have ended up had it not been for Nick and Joe. See, in those days when a person was crucified, the Romans forbade the family to go and to take the body down and to give them a proper burial. They would allow the bodies to sit and hang on the cross for days as a reminder to send a signal, don't mess with Rome. And after a few days, the Romans would take the rotten bodies off the cross, they would put them in a cart, and they would dump them over in Gehenna, where they would bury them in a mass grave. And that would have happened most likely to Jesus, if not for Nick and Joe. But not because they were great men of faith and action, and not you know, because they were supernatural in their abilities, actually they did not believe the resurrection would happen. 
They were men of doubt. Did not believe that Jesus and his teachings would actually come true. And they weren't alone. You might recall that all the disciples fled. They thought it was over. They thought they'd never see him again. Same thing with Nick and Joe. Here's the backstory. Early in the ministry of Jesus, we encounter a group of people called the Pharisees. You've heard the term before. If you're a Bible student, you know that these Pharisees are good people. These Pharisees are the religious leaders. They're the most educated. They're the best of the best. Their full-time job was being good, to be impressively religious. And it does not take long in the story to find out that they had a problem with Jesus. I'll even say it a little stronger. They couldn't stand Jesus, most of them. They hated what Jesus taught. They hated what he did, mostly because Jesus did not follow their list of rules. And also because the people loved Jesus. <laughs> they hated that they were the ones to be loved, revered, and respected. So there's this group of people that gather to study this, this teachings of this new Messiah. This, and within that group, there was a smaller group of Pharisees that thought maybe, just maybe, Jesus was from God. Most of them did not agree on that, but there was a small group that thought maybe, just maybe, Jesus is from God. Maybe, just maybe, he is the Messiah. And two of those Pharisees were Nick and Joe. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. There were others, but it's the only two names that the New Testament gives us and tells us about. We heard it read this morning, and I'll read it again, John chapter 12, verse 42. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, other Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be rejected, that they would be put out of the synagogue. See, there seems to be this little subset of Pharisees that have come to the conclusion that Jesus, well, he might be from God. Yeah, he didn't obey their rules. Yeah, he didn't follow their traditions, but still, there's something about him. But they were afraid to follow him. In their discussions, they're thinking, if we could just ask him some questions, if we could just sit down together and kind of work through some of our theological differences, maybe uh, redirect some of his passion in the right direction, maybe if we could just sit down together and talk, well, we could work this out. And uh, I don't know how it happened. The Bible doesn't say, but somehow Nicodemus got picked. He would be the selected one to go to Jesus privately Nick at night, so to speak, and get the answers to the questions that were on their minds. Mostly, they wanted the answer to one question. One question. It's the same question that everybody in that age wanted to know, and I would say it's the same question that we want an answer to today. You can follow along in the backstory. It starts in John chapter 3 with verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do the things, perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. See, Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish ruling council, and I love the way he puts it. He says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher that has come from God. We? Who's this we? Our little group. This little group that's been watching you. This little group that's been listening and it's been wondering if you're really from God. We think that you are, but before we validate it, we need to ask you some questions. And what does Jesus do if you read through that account? He answers the question before Nick even asks it. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about that. I think if somebody answers your question before you actually ask it, might be a good idea to pay attention, right? To listen to the answer, to take the answer seriously. I also, as I was thinking about this, and this is kind of an aside, but I think, I wonder how much time they spent crafting this question. <laughs> you know, I wonder how much time they, they, they thought about how they could word it in such a way uh, that Jesus would then have to answer the question because they knew that Jesus would often answer questions with questions or with a story, and they don't want a story. They want a straight answer. But before Nicodemus can get this carefully crafted and thought through question, Jesus answers, verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. This is the question that the Pharisees wanted to know. So did the Sadducees. So did the Torah teachers, those that are defined as teachers of the law and scripture. So did the common man. We all want to know the answer to this question, then and now. How do I enter into the kingdom of God? What must I do to be saved? How do I know if I am in right standing with God? Or is it even possible to know? Can I have assurance? This is the question. And Jesus says, yes, <laughs> there is a way to, to know you must be born again. I don't know. I, I think Nicodemus had to be a little flustered. <laughs> I think Nicodemus had to get a little frustrated at that. Because it, if you read on and you read his response from a learned man, it seems like a silly response. I think he was, oh, I wasn't expecting this. And he's flustered and and he answers in a really silly way, I think. How can someone be born again when he is old? Surely you can't enter into your mother's womb. What? <laughs> I mean, it's one of those, what, what, what are you talking about? Uh, I think he was flustered. And that's why Jesus comes back and he says, okay, let me say it again. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born of water and spirit. Now, often we use this text to explain baptism, but that's really not what the text is about. A being born of water, parents know, is about a human birth. And Jesus then, in verse 6, explains, he goes, look, flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. God is spirit. You know how the human birth thing happens, but God is spirit, and you need to be reborn, a spiritual birth. Yeah, 
yes, you and I are born physically of water, but we also need to be born of the Spirit. And this is a new thought for Nicodemus. He is a teacher of the law. He is as smart as they get. Uh, but this is a new concept. In his view of God, of being in right standing with God, there's a list of rules that must be obeyed. That's his idea. And Jesus is saying, uh, no, it's not based on your behavior. You're a good man, Nick, but that's not it. Instead, you can be born into the family of God. There's this, there's this spiritual birth that, that connects us to God. That there's this internal spiritual thing. And, 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 and Nicodemus, in verse 9, you can see it, he's like, uh, how can this be? What are you talking about? This is a whole new thought. I don't get it. Uh, I'm a religious, smart, educated guy, and you're telling me it's not that way? Uh, I can imagine him really struggling with this. I'm one of the smart guys. You know, I'm, I'm the smartest of, of the smart guys. That's why the other guy sent me to ask the question. You know, how could I have missed this, is what he's saying. I have spent my life trying to please God, trying to be perfect, and you're telling me that that's not it? <laughs> and you're telling me that just as I was born to my parents and into my family, I now can be born into the family of God? And Jesus says, yes. <laughs> yes. And then in verse 14... He lays it out for him, but he's not ready to hear it. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, why did Moses put the snake in the wilderness? If you remember the story, it was for healing. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. I don't want you to miss that. So everyone who believes. How do I get eternal life? Anyone who believes. You mean behaves. No. Believes. But I thought you had to behave yourself into the kingdom of heaven. No. It's an internal thing. There's a spiritual birth that must take place. He who believes in him. Now remember... Nicodemus has to go back and explain this <laughs> to the other guys who are part of the teachers of the law. And I can imagine him sitting down and saying, okay, this is going to take a while. <laughs> I don't get this. I want you to remember the context of this. This is happening early in Jesus' ministry. As time goes on, Jesus gets more and more popular. As time goes on, the religious leaders and the Pharisees get more and more jealous and more worried about his authority and his influence. And one day, they actually say, uh, we're done. we got to get rid of him. You can read the story in John chapter 7. The Pharisees, who are the ruling party, they actually have access to a temple guard. And so they go to the temple guard and they say, hey, we want you to go where Jesus is teaching right now and, and go and arrest him and bring him to us, and we're going to question him. And they go, but they come back without him. Here's a paraphrase of John chapter 7. Why didn't you bring him back, says the Pharisees, say the Pharisees. 
Uh, well, no one has spoken like this man does. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. You sat down and listened to him? <laughs> you listened to a sermon? Well, yeah, we didn't want to interrupt him. So we sat by the columns listening, and hey, he makes a lot of sense. You mean he's deceived you also? That's the interaction that goes and takes place. They're frustrated, the Pharisees are, and they uh, talk in a condescending way. They ask the guards a question that actually also makes Nick and Joe very uncomfortable. <laughs> Have any of the rulers and Pharisees believed in him? <laughs> Do you see any of us smart people falling for that? That's the paraphrase. So why would you believe? Why would you believe what ignorant people believe when we know that he could not possibly be from God? In other words, how could you fall for that? And I would suggest that that's the same question that gets thrown in our faces these days. Right? If you're a Christ follower, how can you believe in that nonsense? That's for the ignorant. That's ridiculous. It's the same condescending attitude. Only the ignorant, the foolish, the uneducated, the simple-minded are the ones who believe. And I imagine Nick and Joe thinking, hmm, should we say something? <laughs> you know, should we jump in here because we're in the minority? And actually, Nicodemus does. You can read about it again in that chapter. Nicodemus speaks up and he says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him? In other words, shouldn't we hear what he has to say? I'm just saying, maybe we ought to listen to him. And again, the reply from the other Pharisees is, are you from Galilee too? It's condescending. Are you from Galilee too? A prophet cannot be from Galilee. Yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he had grown up in Galilee, and Galilee was considered to be a kind of a backwoods, hillbilly, countryside, out of touch, not being sophisticated and from the uh, urban environment. So, come on. Can he really come from that? And then you can read through that, and I'll paraphrase this for the, for the, for the sake of time, but uh, things get interesting from this process on. You know, Nick has tried. He's pushed a little bit to go public, to stand up a little bit. And then right after this, if you read through John, you find that there's a woman that's caught in adultery, and they're going to stone her. And, but Jesus says, hey, I don't condemn you. And he tells her to quit sinning and then forgives her. And the Pharisees, they just go crazy. <laughs> the Pharisees are like, what? He even has the audacity? He thinks he has the power to forgive sin? And then just a little bit after that, there's a man who's been blind from birth. And Jesus heals him. And when the Pharisees go find him and, and, and want to interrogate him, uh, he praises Jesus and, and actually humiliates them, saying, oh, do you want to know because you want to be his followers too? And that drives them crazy. And then Lazarus, one of Jesus' friends, dies, and Jesus raises him from the dead, and the people go crazy. They start worshiping him on the spot, and the Pharisees say, that's it. We're done. And they plot to kill him. Nick and Joe are there for all of this. Nick and Joe see how the other Pharisees plot. They see how they drum up charges and false witnesses against him. They see how they get the temple guard again. And they say, we're going to send you to the garden 
He's going to be there just by himself and a few of his followers. Do you think you can handle it this time? Do you think you can bring him in for questioning? Go get him. And Nick and Joe knew about the plot, but they didn't do anything. They knew against the plot against Jesus, but they were inactive. They decided to look the other way. They did not speak up because they were afraid of what others might think. I wonder how often we wrestled with that. They were afraid that it would affect their position, their standing, the way they, they were viewed in their community, in their workplace. And they were there the night that the temple guard dragged Jesus illegally from the garden into the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. They were there when Jesus was tried illegally at night with paid-off witnesses. They were there when he was taken to Pilate, and Pilate even comes to the conclusion he's innocent. But to appease the crowd, has Jesus beaten within an inch of his life? Has he not been punished enough, Pilate says? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Do you want me to crucify your king? You've read this. And Nicodemus and Joseph, they have to be thinking, what's going on here? Can, can this really be happening? And then they hear, we have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. This is a blasphemous thing, by the way, for a Jewish man to say. <laughs> we have no king but Caesar? From a Jewish mouth? Unheard of. And Pilate is stuck. What can he do with an enemy? of Caesar. And Nick and Joe, they are watching all of this. They watch Jesus carry the cross and say nothing. They see the nails pounded into his hand and say nothing. They remember uh, saying themselves, saying, we know that you come from God. We know. And they think, how can this be happening? Peter has run away. The other disciples have gone into hiding. The crowd has abandoned Jesus. And there stand Nicodemus and Joseph, Nick and Joe, and a small group, mostly women, who had hoped that he was true, that had hoped that he was who he said he was, who believed just maybe. And I think it was then that it dawned on Nicodemus. I think it was at that moment that he remembered the words, just as Moses lifted up a snake, in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so everyone who believes, not behaves, everyone who believes will have eternal life. I think this is where it clicked for Nicodemus and Joseph. I think because they knew their Bibles well, which was the Old Testament, I think this prophecy of Isaiah had to come into their minds. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Jews could not fathom. It was incomprehensible for them that someone who would come from God would actually be willing or could suffer. They couldn't understand that. But now as after seeing everything unfold and remembering the conversations from early in his ministry, I think Nicodemus and Joseph got it. They saw the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. They realized that Jesus was the son 
of man who was sent from God to take upon himself the sins of the world. They understood now that you enter the kingdom of God by believing, not by behaving. And that's when Nicodemus and Joseph decided, that's it. We can't be secret followers anymore. We can't be passive anymore. We have to do something, and they did something unthinkable. It may not seem like a big deal to us, but it was unthinkable to them. And in that era, they went to Pilate and asked for his body to be for burial. Joseph, verse, uh, John chapter 19, verse 38. Again, you can read this whole story from chapter 3 to 19. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus, but secretly. He was a closet follower. He was a secret follower. He was a follower. He believed, but he didn't tell anybody. I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Because who knows what effect that will have on my life. Was how he had lived his life up to this point. But now, secretly, because he had feared the Jewish leaders, but now with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. This is, again, unheard of. Yes, Joseph asked for the body of Jesus, and that part may not be unprecedented. Because if you had enough money, you could go to Roman officials and you could bribe them. You could say, hey, I want the body of this relative or this friend, and you could bribe them. But you usually went to the cart guy. You didn't go to the head official. You go to the guy with the cart, slip him a few bucks. And you could get it that way. Instead, this shows how important in the change in Joseph's mind that he goes to the highest-ranking official, puts his neck out on the line in front of the Romans and the Jews. And then verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. And the writer says, you might not put the story together, but he was the man who early had visited Jesus at night. <laughs> Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Point is, they are now out in the open. They are no longer secret followers, passive followers. They are now in the open. They have gone public. We are now followers of Jesus, and we don't care what people think. We don't care. And then verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. And this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And the place where Jesus was crucified was, there was a garden, and in the garden there was a new tomb. Nobody had ever been laid there, and because it was Jewish day of preparation, Friday, and since the tomb was nearby and sun was coming down, they laid Jesus there, and then they left, assuming that he was really dead, that there was no hope to see him again. You know, the fact that Nick and Joe took care of the body of Jesus in this way proved to first century believers that he was really dead. You know, because there's some arguments, arguments out there that say, well, he really wasn't there. It was kind of, uh, you know, they, they pretended, but he re really didn't die. He recovered, and it was good. Um, but this proved to first century believers that Jesus was truly dead. The spices, uh, the linen, uh, all this, this burial custom proved that didn't happen unless the person was dead. And then it's Matthew that actually tells us that that Sunday morning, Mary and some of the women would come to the tomb with stuff to prepare the body. I thought the body was already prepared. And I wondered, well, why? 
Why would they come to prepare with things to prepare the body? Only thing I could think of was to do it right. <laughs> you know, the men had done it on Friday. Now it's time for the woman to do it right. And to be fair, the men were probably in a hurry. It was almost sundown. But when they got there, the stone had been rolled away and there was no body. And the funny thing is, they didn't think he was risen. Their first thought was not to expect resurrection. What was their first thought? Somebody stole the body. Somebody stole the body. And then when Jesus appears, he says, don't you remember all the things that I have told you? You should have expected this. I've been telling you this since the very beginning. What I have said has come true. And it allows us to have confidence that that will happen again. What Jesus says comes true. Friends, that's why this weekend is so important. That's why we 